The goodness of God is everywhere, right? All around us. Just a moment ago when Trevor was praying, we prayed with him and asked God to forgive us of our trespasses so that we can forgive those who trespass against us. That's the goodness of God, right? Everyone in this room today and everyone listening who prayed that prayer are forgiven. That's the goodness of God, right? And our God wants to give us forgiveness. Our God wants to give us grace. We serve a God who's a tremendous giver. I wrote the prayer prompt this morning, early if you got that at 6 a.m. It's about the goodness of God, about the giving God that we have. We want to talk about his giving here this morning. So I want to pray for us. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us the church. Thank you for giving us a mission, a purpose, a passion. You've given us so much, Father God. And most of all, you've given us the hope of eternal life, that this is not the end, uh, that there's something even greater coming. Father, you're a good, good God, and we thank you for your goodness today. Speak to us today as we work our way through Scripture, looking at how you want to impact our finances, uh, a part of our life that, that many struggle with, uh, that many, many challenges in today's world. So give us your wisdom today, and may we honor you, may we glorify you, and may we please you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, in 1983, uh, something called the Australian Ultramarathon took place. Now, I've never done a marathon. I ran the, I ran the mile when I was a freshman in high school, right? I, I ran the mile. I ran, well, I ran the half mile first, and then I got to run the mile. And my last mile race that I ran as a high school freshman was I didn't take my sweats off, right? Because I knew I didn't stand a chance to win anyway, so I never took my sweats off. And the coach told me not to come back anymore. If I wasn't going to run without my sweats, uh, not even come back. So I can't imagine an ultra marathon, right? A foot race of 544 miles between Sydney and Melbourne. And this particular race in 1983 an unusual guy showed up. All the athletes were highly trained, sponsored professional athletes, except for Cliff Young, a 61-year-old farmer wearing overalls and a white floppy shirt. Now, he shows up, and there he is, Cliff Young. The officials laugh. They think it's a setup. But Cliff is serious, right? He, he's ready to run, overalls and all. His name goes on the roster, Someone pinned a number on his overalls, and then when the starting gun went off, people laughed at his odd shuffle as these other professional athletes burst into the race. But five days, 14 hours, and four minutes later, no one was laughing. Cliff Young crossed the Melbourne finish line 10 hours ahead of the second place runner. 10 hours ahead of the second place runner. The, the press couldn't believe it. How did this 61-year-old farmer accomplish such a spectacular feat? Two, two facts emerged. One, Cliff Young was a shepherd who was too poor to own a horse, so he herded 2,000 sheep on 2,000 acres running day and night. And he said, took a long time, but I always caught them. Always got them. And second, he didn't realize that professional runners in ultramarathons run for 18 hours and sleep for six. Cliff set a world record because he, did, he ran the whole race without sleeping. He didn't stop to rest. 
He also didn't know there was a $10,000 first place prize for running and winning. And so he donated his winnings to the rest of the runners. Cliff Young became a hero and is a hero in Australia. You go and you'll see statues of Cliff Young, this farmer who beat all the odds. You know, we want to win the race of life. We want to, we want to beat the odds, but too often we're not willing to make the commitment to step up to the challenge and to do what it takes. Cliff Young just kept going because his eye was on the goal. Now, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, I want to win the race. The Apostle Paul says, I press on toward the goal, toward the prize of winning the race. And one of the things that keeps us from being all that we can be for God and crossing the finish line and hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is our finances. Our finances become stumbling blocks to fulfilling God's purpose for our life. So how do we beat the odds in finances? Well, we all know, and I think we know this, that credit card debt is a problem in our country. Almost $1 trillion right now in credit card debt in the U.S. Americans currently have 511 million credit cards. And the average person has four credit cards. And the average debt on those credit cards is $6,000. Now, 42% of American households report that because of the pandemic, their financial situation has worsened. They've taken on more debt or spent cash reserves and are in, are in trouble, struggling, stress. And as we face an uncertain 2021 with a pandemic that is ongoing and a political uh, changes that are going on, there's a lot of stress in regards to finances in our marriages in our families. There, there's a fear of not having enough left at the end of the month. The fear of not having as much as my neighbor has. And can I keep up with my neighbor? There's a fear of losing what I have. Finances, how to beat the odds. It's been interesting to look at some of the metrics of giving within the church during this season of pandemic, we, we've noticed that, that some have stopped giving because of the pandemic. And whether their circumstances have changed, whether there's financial difficulty, whether there's fear, but there's been a, a definitely an indicator of that. But also we see metrics where many have stepped out in faith and been even more generous in the midst of a pandemic. And as a church, we, we tried to set the example. When we first got back together at Easter, we set aside a special offering to help other churches in, in the South Carolina Conference who are struggling because of COVID. Our leadership team decided not to lay off our staff, not to furlough our staff, but to continue to keep our staff intact. We set aside funds to help families in our church going through COVID. We gave an Advent gift at, at the, in, this past December, an opportunity to, for you as a congregation to go out and meet the needs of people. Set aside $100,000 as a church to go make an impact. 
Why are we doing that? We are trying to model the God that we love, the God that we serve, the God who's a giver. And, and I believe one of the ways a church creates a culture of generosity is being a generous church and, and making an impact into the community. I was looking as I was getting ready uh, for this message, uh, top 10 mistakes that churches make when preaching or teaching on finances. You know what the number one mistake that churches make on preaching on finances is not preaching on finances. It's a struggle that all of us deal with. It's a challenge that all of us face. And the number two mistake that churches make about preaching on finances is not preaching what the Bible says on finances. I'm not up here giving you my opinion. I want to speak clearly into what the Bible says and what Jesus says, what God says about our finances. Biblical principles will help us beat the odds when it comes to our finances. Jesus taught a lot about money. Jesus, who we love to worship and follow, and we speak about the love of Jesus and, and his compassion and his kindness and these miracles, he also talked about money. In fact, 11 of his 40 parables dealt with finances. There are more than 2,000 scripture passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament about money. Why? Because Jesus cares about you. And he cares about your finances and knows that we need wisdom and understanding when it comes to personal finances. I believe that God chose to speak into these truths because money will be one of the main idols that we will struggle with. It is one of the fiercest idols that we struggle with in our life. Every day, we face the struggle with our finances, how we will use money. So I want to give you several quick hitters on stewardship principles. I want you to write these down. I want, you to, I want to ask you to pray about these. I want to ask you to marinate on these, to think on these. And, and these are biblical principles. Number one, it's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. Somebody say amen to that. It's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. Our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's what he wants for you. Our God wants you to experience his presence. Our God wants you to walk in his peace. In every area of your life, including your finances, and, and to live into his purpose, and be living his purpose. Be a part of his plan to change the world. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Too oftentimes, we delight ourselves in our desires, and we miss what God wants to give us and what God wants to do in us and through us. When we were getting ready to build this facility, we did a, our first ever capital campaign. We knew that it was going to be a challenge to raise these kinds of funds to build this kind of incredible facility that would make an impact in the community and beyond. They, they advised us, the capital campaign people, to put together a committee of people that would go out and speak to people who could make an impact uh, in building this facility. And one of the people that the Lord laid on my heart to, re to recruit uh, was a gentleman, a business owner, who was kind of introverted a little bit, um, you know, didn't, didn't speak out a lot in public, but just felt led to do this. And, and, and I never forget, he told me, he says, one of his friends says, I bet you hate doing that. I bet you hate going out and talking to people about making an impact financially at your church. You know what he said? I'll never forget what he said. He says, you know, I love doing that. I love going to, to, to open people's eyes 
to what God wants for them. How God wants them to experience the joy of generosity and how it changes your life by becoming a generous person. It's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. I want to read you the scripture this morning from Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus teaching us on finances. Would you stand if you're able this morning? Uh, Matthew 6. If you're at home, uh, pick up a Bible or watch on the screen. Join us in this scripture reading. Jesus speaking. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Anybody got an alarm system at your house? where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The words of Jesus for the people of God Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of you might have hesitated on that because Jesus just stepped on my toes, right? That you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money or in the NIV, New International Version translation, mammon, which means materialism. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to materialism. Serving two masters will not help you beat the odds with your finances. We think that in order to be happy, that we've got to worship the false gods of comfort and money and pleasure and things. We think that the, the role of being a Christian sometimes, we make this mistake, is to be happy. And so we have this equation that better possessions plus better relationships plus better circumstances plus better looks equal happiness. I don't think that equation will help us beat the odds. It may help us get overextended, but not beat the odds. I want you to know this, and I, that God is not against your happiness. You hear me when I say that? God is not against your happiness, but God is not about your happiness. God did not come into this world in his son, Jesus Christ, to make you happy. He came to make you holy. He came to make you right with him. And you would set your priorities in the right place. You know, the problem with, and this is a big challenge right now in our world, especially in this culture we live in, because people have this idea that God's supposed to make me happy. That everything's supposed to go good in my life. I'm not supposed to have any problems because I'm a believer in God that no problems. And so what happens is when you're not happy, then you, then you blame God because God didn't make me happy. Therefore, I'm gonna check out of faith. I don't need to be faithful because God hasn't made me happy. Nowhere in scripture does God say, I'm gonna make you happy. But God does say, I'll make you holy, that I will fill you with my presence and you will find purpose and peace and joy and abundant living that he wants to give to us. First Peter 1.15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. When you look at your checkbook, when you look at your bank statement, when you look at your portfolio, can you see any holiness there? Can you see God's presence? Can you see God's power? Can you see God's purpose? Stewardship principle number two. God is the owner 
We're not. We're the overseers. God is the owner. We are the overseers. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Deuteronomy 10. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to who? Me? You? This country? No, it all belongs to God. Reality check for us. God did not die and, and leave us in charge or leave everything on earth to us. He left us in charge of managing it, but we don't own it. When we realize that we are overseers, managers, and not owners, it changes our perspective in regards to our finances. It changes the odds drastically. See, owners ask this question. How much of my money am I going to donate to God? That's what owners think. I've got this much, and how much am I going to give to God? I'm going to give a little bit of this to God, but I'm going to keep the rest of this because this is all mine, you know. But overseers say, how much of God's money will I keep for myself? See the difference in perspective? When we realize that we are God's overseers, we simply say, how much of all that God has given me to manage am I going to keep for myself? And how much am I going to use to advance his kingdom and his purpose? Stewardship number three. I love this one. You can take it with you, but you can't, you, you can't take it with you, but you can't send it ahead. I mean, it's important to get that word right. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You know, that's what this passage is about. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. You see, Jesus is telling us that our stuff on the earth has liabilities and has limits, that shiny things fade and new things deteriorate and markets and trends and elements and evil impact our stuff or impact the stuff that we've been entrusted with. But you say, but you don't understand, I have found the perfect investment, the perfect place to hide everything. I got this safe that you would not believe and it's got a humidifier in it, and nothing ever gets moist in there. It's perfect. And I would say to you, what about you? What about your decay? What about your body? Is it not terminal like my body's terminal? Aren't we going to face disease like most people face disease? Aren't we, we're wearing a mask because we're vulnerable. We, we, we are not going to live here forever. And, and Jesus in his teaching is saying, store up some treasure in heaven. Prepare yourself for what is coming in eternity. You know, Randy Alcorn wrote a great book on money called The Treasure Principle. And he, and he said this. He says, financial planners tell us in a very wise way, when it comes to money, don't think in three months or three years. Think 30 years ahead on investments. You know, make sure you plan ahead for your investments. But Christ, he says, the ultimate investment counselor takes it further. He says, don't ask how your investment is going to pay off in 30 years. Ask how your investment will pay off in 30 million years. Right? Eternity. Think big picture. Think out of the box. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. I've yet to do a funeral 
be in a possession where somebody's taking everything with them. You can't do that, but you can send it ahead. Stewardship principle number four. We can serve God or we can serve money, but we can't serve both. Jesus makes it clear here that you can't serve both. Mammon is a word for materialism. You can serve God or you can serve mammon, but you cannot serve both. You see, treasure has a way of tricking us. Treasure has a way of deceiving us. Treasure has a way of transforming us. And if what we've been blessed with, and let's be honest that if you're listening to my voice today, you've been blessed. As I, I, get, a, I get a thing on WhatsApp. What's is it WhatsApp? Is that what it is? It's a little app there. What's up? What's app? Uh, what's app, yeah. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm looking at it right now. Right here it is. And I'm on a WhatsApp, and I'm on a, on a, on a, um, a little thing, this group thing that goes on from our brothers and sisters in Liberia. And they've got this thing going on where they're sharing resources, Bryce. They're sharing books, and they're looking for books that they can read on faith and on theology and on doctrine. And every day I'll get, you know, I'm in the middle of something, I'll get 10 group texts from, from a name that I cannot pronounce from Africa looking for a resource, looking for a book. And I just, you know what I do when I get that group text? I just, normally when I get group, I hate group texts. Let me just go ahead. Just tell you, I hate group texts. Uh, I just don't like them. My wife's probably listening right now, and I get my, my son-in-law's, um, they're all listening. I'm on the group text. I'm sorry, I don't like them. But anyway, but when I get the group text from Africa, I just stop and say a prayer. and say, Lord, thank you for all of our blessings. And Lord, help me to find a way to make sure I continue to bless our brothers and sisters in Africa who are searching for a book to read, searching for a resource. And I got a whole, whole library full of books. See, all this treasure can transform us. And if we are committed to investing in things only here on the earth, that's where our heart's going to be. That's where our treasure's going to be. It's when we are invested in things only here on the earth. We will only treasure the things of the world. But when we invest in the kingdom of God, in the causes of God, in the purpose of God, we'll begin to treasure the things of God. And I look forward to those group texts because these are men and women who are treasuring the things of God. And for them, a book is life-changing, a resource that they can use to help change the world. And I got more books than I know what to do with. Somebody say amen to that. We need to be aware that our first love must be on the things of God and not on the things of this earth. I also want to clarify this misguided statement that money is the root of all evil. That is not a true statement. Money is not the root of all evil. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. God has poured out in many of your lives incredible blessings for you to be a conduit. And one of my favorite say, statements when it comes to finances is God is not looking for reservoirs. God is looking for conduits. He wants to pour his blessings through you so you can bless others. Here are some of the symptoms whenever mammon materialism has an influence on our lives is we have worry and anxiety in our life about money, stress. There's money mismanagement goes on. I have this fear that I don't ever have enough left at the end of the month. 
I cannot afford to tithe, impulse buying, greed, a desire to acquire or possess, discontentment, bondage to debt, overstating, overestimating the power of materialism or mammon. Many years ago, Lynn and I, when we first got married, fought with the battle of materialism and, and stuff. As a young pastor and a young newly married Brett like you, Lynn and I struggled, you know, what do we do? And there was never enough at the end of the month, it appeared, to give anything to the, to the work of God. But there just never was enough left at the end of the month, right? Until we decided to put God first in our finances, and we started writing that little check out at the first of the month, and you know what we found out? There was always enough left at the end of the month when we put God first in all that we did and all that we do and all that we believed in and committed to. So through the years, we've learned that, that to trust God in our finances, and it's made an incredible difference in our life. It's made a difference in our, in our family and our kids and their lives. It's made a difference in a lot of people in the life of the church here. And I want to share, I want some people to share with you from this video about the Advent gift that we gave in December. So watch this for just a minute. When I initially heard about the Advent gift and being given $100, um, I kept thinking over what Pastor Jeff was saying about um, that we could give it and bless the community. And then he said we could keep it. And um, being a single mom with three little girls, um, it was very tempting to say, yeah, I could keep it. I just decided to trust that God um, would use it to teach me um, not to cling to um, that gift, but to give the gift. We mentioned it to our kids and they said, oh, well, we have some money that we could give to uh, needy families. Um, Karen and I put in um, some money, some money from her, our business. Um, then my mother was staying with us for Christmas. She thought it was a great idea, so she gave some money. Then she contacted my siblings and our nephews, and next thing you know, the $100 turned into $1,600. Jeff had said something in service that we were supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and that really stuck with me, that if we were gonna give someone this money, I wanted them to know that it was because we truly loved and cared about them. For us, we're out there, we're, we're the hands and feet, and it, it's our job to get other people involved, and, and you know, using this to try and spread the word, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to do. I think what's kind of special about this Advent gift is that you can give it directly to somebody and really meet a need in the community that might be missed um, by other charities, other organizations. What God wanted to show me was that if I, um, if I would just let go and hold the gifts freely um, and give freely, then he had more to give um, because he's a good, good father and he knows our needs. And a lot of times he wants to give over and beyond those needs. What was great about this Advent gift is 
there there was a, a willingness to help others but this this started this this catalyzed it where a lot of people were just looking for a way or an idea or an initiative to give and what it reminded us is that as the scriptures say all the the talents the skills the blessings the resources you have they're, they're not ours they're gods we're just stewards of them while we're here and we're to use them to help others and glorify god if everyone that took that blessing you know went out and told two or three people even if that planted a, a seed in just a handful of them maybe this will bring one person to mount horeb and change one person's life this idea somewhat unorthodox idea just turned out to be really a blessing for so many families, not just those that received. We were blessed to, to give and to see, open our eyes to what the needs are out there and to have some, some way of helping those families and just the joy we've gotten back from doing that. So I wanna thank Mount Horeb for doing this for us. People said amen to that. Right? What God wanted to show me, that God wanted to open my eyes, it, he had more to give. I decided to trust God. If you hear nothing else I say when it comes to your finances and meeting the odds, will you decide to trust God? <laughs> I preached a sermon uh, series, two sermon series one time years ago. Uh, can we trust God? I'm going to ask you, can we trust God? Yes. I, can't, I can't hear you. Yes. Well, you know what the second sermon was? Can God trust you? Can God trust you? You know, God has poured into our lives so much. I want to read you one other scripture this morning because it's a scripture that changed the direction of Mount Horeb. It comes from Matthew 14. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, this isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and the children. Somebody say amen to that story. That's Jesus telling us what will happen if we bring what we have to him and ask him to bless it, ask him to use it. 27 years ago, it was getting late. It was getting late from Mount Horeb. A little church up on the corner of old Cherokee and Foskland, a little church that had dwindled down in attendance, a little church that could not hardly pay its bills. And the Lord opened up this passage and said to Mount Horeb, it's getting late. And Jesus, we can't afford to feed all the people moving into Lexington 
Can you just send them to some other churches in the area so they can feed them? But Jesus said to the people gathered up there on the corner at Mount Horeb, and says, no, you feed them. Bring me what you have and ask me to bless it. Begin to focus on the needs of the community. Bring one person in at a time and look what I can do. Somebody say, God did a lot. <laughs> God has done a lot with what little bit we gave him. So these three closing principles for you today, look to God's provision instead of your problem. If you've got a problem today with your finances, and I certainly understand that there's a lot of challenges going on right now, will you look to God's provision instead of your problem? Will you look for God's purpose more than your pursuit? And will you look to God's capacity, not your capabilities? God's capacity is much greater than our capabilities. And then I want to invite you as a congregation, if you would take a test. Some people call this a tithe test where you evaluate your finances before and after. And, 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 and for the next 90 days, trust God with your finances. Put God first in your finances. Ask God to guide you as you make decisions about your finances. And, and set aside 10% for God's work. And I'm not even gonna ask you to give that 10% here, though that's a biblical teaching and I'm good with that. But just, I just want you to try and test God. In fact, let me read you a scripture that says we should do this. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven armies, not Jeff. God says, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. <laughs> That's God speaking. Try it. And put me to a test. I just know that we've learned that in our life. That God blesses and beyond what we can comprehend. And guides us to make good decisions, better decisions. God has guided this church to do things I can't even comprehend. Because we put him first. And we trusted him. I read a story about a decree. Who issued a three word decree. And maybe one you was hoping I would say today. Giving is forbidden. <laughs> Giving is forbidden. Now, when the people first heard the decree, they rejoiced. A great burden, many said, had been taken off of their shoulders. Now they'll have more time, more money, more resources for themselves. But then it happened that a young boy picked some flowers for his mother, but she was forbidden to receive them. A motorist broke down beside the road and somebody was going to stop and help, but they remembered they were forbidden to help. There was a single mom with three children that somebody wanted to help, but they were forbidden to give. Giving is forbidden. It wasn't long before the people began to notice that the decree had not improve their life. They sent a delegation to the king and said, we understand that you intended to lift the burden of giving, but we've discovered that you've given us a loss of joy. Giving is not a burden, but a joy. Generosity 
is a source of joy in our lives. So today, I don't know what you're struggling with, whether it's your finances, whether it's a failure, whether it's a frustration, but I do know this, that God loves you and that God cares about every detail of your life. It's not what God wants from you, it's what God wants for you. And if you will receive what God wants for you, it'll change everything about your life, including your finances. And that God will use you to make him more famous with what he's poured into your life. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that, that you love us. I thank you that you care about every detail of our life, including our checkbook, including our credit card bill. And Lord, we know that this church has been so blessed by people who have put you first. And Lord God, I, I want all of the people here to, to know the blessing of, of generosity that starts whenever we receive the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus who, who gave it all. Didn't give 10%. Didn't give 50%. He gave his whole life on a cross so that we could have life and life abundant. Father God, thank you for all of our blessings. And as we worship you now, may we worship you as people who have received a great blessing so that we can go and be a blessing to others to change the world. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.